You're listening to audio from Redeemer Anglican Church in the urban heart of Richmond, Virginia. We are a parish committed to gospel formation for missional presence through seven essential practices. Telling the biblical story, embracing a new identity in Jesus, finding belonging in the church community, cultivating virtue through redemptive habits, understanding our context in this current cultural moment, laboring in renewed vocations for the common good, and reordering our imaginations through beauty in the arts. To learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. lesson this morning is from Psalm 103. It's found on page 502 in your pew Bible. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's wings. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who feared him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For when the wind passes over it and is gone, and it knows its place no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning to you all. A very early morning. I'm always impressed. The morning of Ash Wednesday, driving in here, I always think I'll be the only one. And then, to my delight, I am not. Thank you all for rising early. Uh, if some of you are new and visiting for the first time, if Redeemer is not normally your home, welcome. Glad you're here. If we haven't met, my name is Dan. I'm glad to serve here as a pastor. Today is Ash, is Ash Wednesday. It marks the first day of Lent. Lent is, you might say, a season of bright sadness where the church surrenders 40 days of the year to journeying with Jesus through the wilderness and to help us learn in this season as a church family And lean into this, we are beginning a new sermon series today that we're calling Virtue, Practicing Redemptive Habits. And the core human question that we're going to be asking together is simply, how do we change? How do human beings change? And the hypothesis that we are exploring together is that we do not become people of virtue primarily through our intellect, 
although that is involved, but through our practices and through our habits. And in the coming weeks, we're going to examine the practices of silence and solitude, fasting, giving, submission, and prayer. But today, because it is Ash Wednesday, we begin with the practice of remembering death. The practice of remembering death. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The moment you are born, you begin to die. God tells the first humans of their mortality in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. He tells them, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And the psalmist in Psalm 103, verses 15 and 16, which was just read, reminds us of the very same reality. As for man, his days are like the grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it, and it's gone. Its place remembers it no more. St. Augustine, his book, The City of God, describes death this way. The very violence with which body and soul are wrenched asunder. Death is unavoidably graphic and terrible. There's just no way around it. Death erases the legacies that we work so hard to build throughout our lives. Most of us will not be remembered two to three generations after we die. I mean, you and I can probably name parents, grandparents, maybe great-grandparents, And some of you might be able to name generations further back in your family tree only because you've studied it on a piece of paper. But did you really know the people? I didn't either. We will all be forgotten and the world will continue on as if we had never existed. The average human lives 4,000 weeks. That's 28,000 days. But you and I aren't actually guaranteed that much time. That's just the average. So here are some very awkward questions. How much longer do you think you have? If you had to guess, what number would you put on that? Here's a different, perhaps more awkward question. How do you think you're going to die? If you had to guess. Dismissing these questions as morbid or downers is just kind of our reflexive reaction to the unpleasant feelings that these questions stir within us. But the questions about death are too big and words like morbid are too small. It seems that many of us struggle with what psychologists would call thanatophobia. Thanatophobia, it just means anxiety or fear about death. And as I did a little bit of research earlier this week, management and treatment options for thanatophobia would include things like cognitive behavioral therapy to change the way you think and feel about death so that it's not so scary, deep breathing exercises to manage your anxiety, Or exposure therapy, spending time in a hospital wing around people who are dying so that it doesn't feel so foreign anymore. And as I read up on this, it called to mind the death conditioning centers in Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Some of you might have read that book. Maybe it was assigned to you in ninth grade, as it was to me, way too young. And it describes these places as, quote, death conditioning beginning at 18 months old is where all the children have to spend time in the hospital for the dying. Here they are treated with the greatest care and are conditioned with toys and chocolate ice cream on death days to view death as something pleasant. Consequently, there are no grief, no tears, no mystery connected with death. Now, that's fiction. And the dark irony, of course, is that none of these therapies for fear and death address the elephant in the room, which is death itself, right? So you and I can work hard to develop coping mechanisms for the emotions that we have around death. But the reality of death still stands unmoved. 
You and I are absolutely going to die. And even as I speak that sentence, I'm keenly aware all of this is all in very bad taste, right? It's socially awkward to talk about death because to do so is to call into question the legitimacy of absolutely everything that everybody is doing right now. It's like that moment in the Barbie movie where everyone is dancing to the choreography of Dua Lipa's Dance the Night Away. It's a very fun scene. And the music suddenly stops when the main character, Barbie, blurts out, you guys ever think about dying? And the music stops. Everyone freezes. That's what Ash Wednesday does into American society. Ash Wednesday interrupts. The Grammys, the Super Bowl, the upcoming political election, and in the middle of the American dance number, Ash Wednesday raises her voice and says, you guys ever think about dying? And everybody just stares awkwardly. Everyone except God. God doesn't seem to think that death is very awkward, but he does seem to think it's a problem. Death is provocative to God. Death provokes God's love. We hear an echo of this uh, later in Psalm 103. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. And you must understand that in the biblical story, God knowing something or God remembering something is akin to God acting on something or someone's behalf. You might think about this language in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. The Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. They are crying out to God. And the text reads, God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. And the chapter just ends with that phrase. And God knew. And if you're an Egyptian, that is ominous. Because if God knows, he's coming for you. And so... God knowing and God remembering is not like our knowing and our remembering. I know and remember that there's a war between Israel and Hamas and between Ukraine and Russia. But my knowing and remembering doesn't do anything. It doesn't impact or change anything. But God's knowing and remembering does. Which is why the very next phrase is, The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. The steadfast love of God is as response to our mortality. The, the, tempor- the temporality and the fragility of human life is juxtaposed with the permanence and the strength of God's love. And as we read Psalm 103, we're meant to feel the difference. Oh, we're very weak. Oh, God's very strong. These two things are not like the other. And God's love leads him to enter into our death. God the Son, who was pure spirit, was conceived in the womb of a mortal human young woman. And as soon as he was born, he began to die just like the rest of us. But by design, his death came sooner in the whip and the nails and the suffocation of Roman crucifixion. And as he entered our mortal life in his birth, so he entered our mortal death. His lungs inhaled and exhaled one final time. His heart beat and then did not beat again. His brain function ceased, his cells died, and immediately began to decompose. That's what happens when your body dies. Jesus was truly dead. And you must understand that it was love that drove Jesus to choose a mortal life and to enter into solidarity with human death. And it was that same love, that very same love, that actually enabled Jesus to overcome death because the love of God is, in fact, stronger than death. And though you might not believe that, I know not everybody here believes that, or maybe you might believe it, but maybe not understand what you believe. In other words, you sort of hope in it and you want to believe it, but you're not really sure how it works. Think about it this way. 
Death is the strongest force that any of us will experience in this life. It wins every time. There are an estimated 117 billion humans that have ever lived. Best guess, give or take a few billion. All 117 billion of them have died. The historically proven, fact-checked, eyewitnessed, and undeniable resurrection of Jesus is the singular conspicuous moment in history when death did not win. So death's track record may be 117 billion to one, but that one, it's a chink in the armor, it's a breach in the wall, it's a leak in the dam, it's the Achilles heel. And the same power, the same love that proved just once to be stronger than death is now offered to you. It's the antidote, the cure is now available. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, the Christian faith is at its core the answer to the problem of death. Whatever else the Christian faith may offer, it offers this first, a solution to the final problem. And this is why... Christians who are squeamish about talking about death are undermining their own faith. Boston University philosopher Peter Kreeft puts it this way. When the Christian church collaborates with pagan culture by covering up death, it seals its own death warrant. For the whole reason for the church's existence, its whole message is a good news or gospel about a God who became man in order to solve the problem of death and the problem of sin, which is its root. Whether the story is true or false, it is fundamentally a story about resurrection from death, conquest of death. The resurrection is at the heart of every sermon preached by every Christian in the New Testament. For the church to cover up death is for it to cover up the question whose answer is its own meaning. Nothing is more meaningless than an answer without a question. The good news of Christianity claims to answer the bad news of death. Therefore, in order for you and I to deepen our gratitude and our understanding and our love of the answer, which is the gospel, we must deepen our understanding, our experience of, and the gravity of the question, which is death. This is why remembering your death is a means of practicing the gospel. And God's love makes death bearable. You'll still die. I will too. This remains unchanged. Our hearts will stop beating. We will exhale and then not inhale again. And our brain waves will drop and settle and then cease. But you don't have to be afraid. You don't need to suffer from anxiety about death. You can say, as Tim Keller said the moment before he died, there's no downside to me leaving, not in the slightest. Or you could say, as Eugene Peterson said in his last words, let's go. God's love makes death bearable. And so remembering our death does not need to make us afraid. Because for a Christian to remember death is at the very same time to remember love. That's why the practice of remembering death will actually be the very thing that enables you to love well. That's why the practice of remembering your death is a crucial practice for cultivating virtue. Jesus asks all of his followers to remember their death every day. Did you know that? 
When Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That word daily tends to be forgotten. And the whole metaphor of taking up your cross, it means all sorts of things, sure. But in the very least, it means remembering your own death daily. St. Benedict, uh, the founder of the Benedictine monastic movement, wrote into his rule for all of the monks and nuns that would come after him, keep death daily before your eyes. St. Josemaria Escriva puts it a different way. At least once daily, cast your mind ahead to the moment of death so that you can consider the events of the day in its light. In other words, in your imagination, beginning to contemplate your own death will transform the way you live this moment, right now. And so as you think about what it means to practice remembering our own death, what does it mean to take up that practice? You could do this a number of ways. You could, write the, you could write words like memento mori, which is just simply Latin for remember death. You could write it in your journal. You could write it at the top header every morning when you wake up, as you begin your day. Before that to-do list starts, just write remember death or memento mori, and then frame the to-do list in light of that reality. I would recommend attending funerals, even if it's inconvenient, even if it's somewhere far away and you have to take time off of work. And if you have kids, bring your kids. And if you have a say in planning a funeral for a loved one, make it a true funeral, not a celebration of life. And if you have a chance, visit those who are in the final stages of life. Please don't avoid them. Share with them the anticipation of their death. Bear the burden with them. And do not ask the elderly to bear that burden alone. If you want to be truly extreme and really disturb your coworkers, you could keep a skull on your desk. And that was indeed the practice of many of the ancient mothers and fathers of the church. Here's a very simple practice that all of us could do today. Well, this evening, before we go to sleep. For a Christian, going to sleep is a daily opportunity to practice remembering your death. The sun has set. The day is over. There were many things that you wanted to accomplish, and you weren't able to get to all of them. Your relationship with friends, parents, children, spouse, if you have one, roommate, they may be warm and affectionate relationships, or they may be strained with hurt and anger. But whatever state your relationships are in, there's nothing more you can do. The day's over. And so you lie down, and you close your eyes, and you lose consciousness and you begin to drift off and fall asleep. What are you doing in that moment? With intentionality, that could be a moment where you are practicing for your own death. And even as I say that, I hit that very first objection that jumps into your mind might be something like, that will make me afraid to go to sleep. Ah, if that's true, then what you've done is you've excavated, you have unearthed a fear that was already there but it was an unaddressed fear. Remembering your death and practicing it whenever you lie down to sleep becomes an opportunity for you to place yourself in the hands of God, to say with Jesus, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then fall asleep, secure that you rest in the love of God, the God who knows your frame, the God who remembers that you are dust, the God whose steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting. There's a bedtime prayer for children and for adults who would be childlike in their faith. And you probably know it. 
Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. This does not need to only be a prayer for children. You could say this no matter how old you are. Friends, let's summarize. We've talked about the reality of death, the discomfort of thinking about death. Our death provokes God's love. God's love leads him to enter into our death. God's love overcomes death, both for Jesus and for us. God's love, therefore, makes death bearable. And so remembering our death need not make us afraid. Rather, it helps us to love well. And this is why the practice of remembering our death is a crucial practice for cultivating virtue. Let's conclude with a story. Today is two special days in the church liturgical calendar. It's Ash Wednesday. It is also the Feast of St. Valentine, rebranded as Valentine's Day in red and pink. Thank you, Hallmark. St. Valentine was a priest in Rome during the hostile reign of Emperor Claudius II. He was arrested and imprisoned for performing Christian weddings. That was illegal at the time. And while awaiting his sentencing, Valentine befriended the jailer's daughter. And this young girl was blind and sick in other ways. And Valentine prayed for her healing. And she was healed. And her sight was restored. Now, Valentine was eventually sentenced to death, and on the morning of his execution, he wrote a letter of encouragement blessing this little girl, and he signed it, From Your Valentine. And this is the note that is said to have inspired the common greetings that so many of us will exchange today on Valentine's Day. The love of God given to the world in the sacrifice of Jesus, we might say, is agape love, unconditional, binding, covenantal love. As Sally Lloyd-Jones put it in her Jesus Storybook Bible, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. It's a love that goes beyond warm feelings to something much deeper. And St. Valentine knew this agape love in Jesus. And it's the kind of love that he offered to others, even to the daughter of the person who was keeping him locked up. And it was more than words or feelings. It was action, seeking her, her physical healing, seeking her good. Because true love must be an embodied form of seeking the good of the other. That's what love is. And that is the love of God for us in Jesus, love in a human body, seeking our good. And so, on Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day, the practice of remembering death becomes the practice of remembering love because God's love is stronger than death. Amen. Thank you for listening. To connect with our team or to learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. We look forward to knowing you. Go in peace.